Pastor Xavier Reese with this simple truth. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Bible is clear that God should get all the glory in all that takes place in our lives and in the church. Yet too often in our day, people are boasting in men who are great organizers rather than agonizers for God. And though man can produce certain things, they're nothing compared to what God can do. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Israelites, after having been delivered from Egypt, then saw the hand of God preserving them from thirst and hunger while making their escape through the wilderness. But it wasn't long before they needed to be preserved from themselves in the form of chaos within the ranks. And so God provided the wisdom Moses would need for guidance through the counsel of his own father-in-law, Jethro. Pastor Xavier continues our Simple Truth Study series in the book of Exodus, beginning with our text for today. Exodus chapter 18, we're going to look at verse 1 through 27, and the message is entitled, Humble and Wise Leadership. The great judgments and miracles of God were short-lived, as you know, in the heart and mind of the people of God. They complained to Moses before the Red Sea crossing, accusing him that he had brought them out to kill him in chapter 14, verse 11 and 12. They complained after the crossing of the Red Sea. First they rejoiced, but then they came to the waters of Merah. They were bitter, and God made them sweet, but they, they were grumbling. They have come now and arrived at the mountain of God, where Jethro visits Moses at the camp. His religious title was the priest of Midian. A priest presents the people to God and represents God to the people, at least from the concept of the biblical perspective in the Levitical law. Notice his relationship to Moses, his father-in-law. The man Jethro, notice in verse 1, responded to the victory God gave in Egypt. He heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. Moses welcomed them by doing obeisance. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down. Moses demonstrated his appreciation. He kissed him. Now notice the response of Jethro over the Exodus was a joyous one in verse 9 through 11. And 9, he acknowledged God brought about the Exodus, not Moses. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord Yahweh who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Yahweh was the only true God. Now I know that the Lord Yahweh is greater than all the gods, small g. He offered sacrifices. Then Jethro's Moses' father-in-law took a burnt offering. Later on, the Levitical law, burnt offerings, dedication and consecration to God. Now, people argue that these, these chapters, uh, 18 and, and even 19 and some of these in 24, they're really out of place chronologically. They should be put after the law because the law hadn't been given. Well, the law, some of the law had already been given to an extent. In fact, God is going to be telling Moses, write these things down, which implies that God allowed this. Now, we know that God is holy, and we know that no one can approach God in the priesthood except those he allows, Right? 
And yet here we have um, Jethro offering sacrifices, which implies that God was already dealing with other people besides just Moses and Israel. So here's evidence of that. It's not explained. It's not given great detail. But the implication, we know God is holy. He doesn't allow people in. So if he accepts this, then we have to accept it as God having initiated and dealing with these individuals. Still in 12, notice he was acknowledged as being able to officiate the office of priests by those elders of Israel. The representative leaders of Israel affirmed their approval. The future high priest of Israel, Aaron, went to Jethro. The elders of Israel accompanied Aaron to be with Jethro. They would be the first ones, hey, hey, you can't do that. They didn't. And Aaron and the elders of Israel and Jethro expressed their oneness with God as they ate before God. Interesting little section that we get no real explanation, but we have to judge it by what we do know, not by what we don't know. Very important. The Bible is clear that what our priorities are to be regarding love. One day a lawyer came and asked Jesus, um, which is the greatest commandments? And the first and foremost, Jesus said, was to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And the second is to love our neighbor as thyself in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. In these two are fulfilled the law and the prophets. Love for God is first. I cannot give what I do not have. The problem with Christians, if they don't keep this in mind, is they start functioning in their Christianity mechanically and intellectually, and they're really not going to the Lord to receive that wisdom, to receive that love, and to receive that power, to live that daily life that needs to be lived out with passion and reality. You understand? And so what happens, we can become indifferent. We can become callous. We can become grumpy. <laughs> love for our Lord is first, and love for our neighbor. And Jesus said, to his disciples in John 13, 35, by this, all men shall know that you're my disciples if you have love one or another. Love for one another. John, again, in 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't confront one another. It doesn't mean that we agree on everything, but we conduct ourselves civilly, and we conduct ourselves in such a way that we know we're brothers, and when differences come where there is no scriptural basis for it, those are gray areas, as Paul says. Some think they can eat meat, some vegetables. You know, have at it at your own conscience, but don't try to make a hard rule over it because that's, salvation has nothing to do with that. So we need to understand what is scriptural importance for salvation and what is not. And so that's important. Now, the Bible is clear that God should get all the glory in all that takes place in our lives and in the church. Yet, too often in our day, people are boasting in men who are great organizers rather than agonizers before God. Men who have great marketing skills are smart. Men who can raise money for building projects, they have the knack. Jesus alone has saved and delivered us from sin. 
and brings about his will through his word, prayer, and the power of the Holy Spirit through each man, each woman, and a group of people, his church. There's nothing else. Everybody's giving credit to so many things today apart from these things. I think that for the most part, the majority of people in the church, I'm talking about pastors and that and people who look at the ministry, are being educated beyond their intelligence with things that are not biblical. (laughs) And though man can produce certain things, they're nothing compared to what God can do. And what man brings about, he has to work at and continue to work at and continue to maintain. When God does something, he just does it. And you're in awe that he's doing it. Not the pastor or his education. Not the method or the strategy. Nothing but the blood of Jesus and the work of Jesus. Psalm 96, 9 says, O worship the Lord Yahweh in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The praise of Jethro for the God of Moses was in celebration of his deliverance. You understand? We should never miss that, ladies and gentlemen. Never. Notice thirdly, we have the practical counsel of Jethro to Moses. Verse 13 through 27. 13 through 16, the counsel came through Jethro's observation of Moses judging the case of the people or the cases. The customary manner of Moses in verse 13 was to pass judgment as described there. The occasion took place the next day. So we're talking about two days in this uh, account. Uh, the procedure was that Moses in verse 13 sat to judge the people and the people stood before Moses. The duration is given to us morning to evening. That's a long time. Very few in number could be heard per day. You're talking about 600,000 adult men. How many things you can, you can sit down and, and discuss with? <laughs> in verse 14, the inquiry of Jethro to Moses is declared. Jethro was shocked. So when Moses' father-in-law saw that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Jethro was perplexed. Why do you alone sit? And all the people stand before you from morning until evening. Moses was only one man. The people are multitudes. One man cannot do the work. Now notice in verse 15 and 16, the reply of Moses was expressed. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. The word inquire means anything having to do with the problem that arose between the people. Not necessarily in strife or an argument, just things that need to be dealt with. Then the need of justice for the people is declared by him in verse 16. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Well, that's good. But again, how are you going to get to all the people? And so, in verse 17 to 23, the council was for being more efficient in the case judgments of the people. In verse 17 and 18, the observation of Jethro here was stated without hesitation to Moses. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. 
You remember God said, it's not good that man should be alone? <laughs> well, it's not good that man lead alone. He can't do it by himself. You understand? On any level. The implication being there is a better way to judge the people. Look at verse 18. Moses' father-in-law gave the simple reason. Everyone would become exhausted and frustrated. Both you and, the, and, and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. We've all sat in lines for over two hours. We've gone to doctor's offices and spent three hours waiting. Then another three hours in the waiting room inside. <laughs> now in 18, every case could not be heard by Moses. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. This is wisdom. And so the instruction of Jethro was communicated to Moses in 19 through 22. In 19, Jethro being used by God, he says, listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Okay? So follow his train of thought here. Jethro told Moses he was to be a mediator for the difficult matters. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. So he makes a distinction. Those that are real important things and priority things, and those that are just usual common things. Jethro told Moses also in verse 20 that he was to educate the people to govern themselves. Moses was to teach them the statutes, specific ordinances. Moses was to teach them the law, the general rules for order. Again, here are mentioned already specifics that God has given and made known. Moses was to show in verse 20 the people the way in which they must walk, conduct themselves and the work they must do, the deeds in community living. When you're living with a different people, you, you have to be amiable. You have to conduct yourself properly because, you know, we get on each other's nerves if we're not careful. Look at 21. Jethro told Moses he was to delegate the work of judging the cases of the people to other men who were qualified Men who were capable in strength and ability. That's what the word means. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men. Men who revered God, such as fear God. Men who were trustworthy, reliable in character. Of truth, that's what it means. Men who despised dishonest gain, hating covetousness. Good things to look for in men. They're going to serve in women. And then notice the end of 21 and 22. Jethro told Moses that the judging of the case of the people would be adequately attended. Moses was to appoint these chosen men over the structural chain of command. And place each over them to be rulers of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Handing it down, dispersing it out. Moses was to appoint these chosen men over the cases of the people. Let them judge the people at all times. So the majority of these men that he disciples, he instructs, he hands the majority of work to them. Because there's more of them than him, right? Moses was to handle and hear only those very important and serious matters. 
Then it will be that every great matter that shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So now there's a delegating, there's a dispersing, there's an oversight, there's qualified leaders. Now the work can be attended to. Very important. At the end of 22, Moses would be relieved of doing it all himself. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If I attempted to do everything in this church, I would never have time to pray in the study. And we would just have questions and answers this morning. Or we would talk about the weather or something. And really, it wouldn't do you much good. Now, notice in verse 23, the conclusion of Jethro was that the case judgment of the people would be efficient for the task. Jethro commended Moses to God's approval. He began with the reference that God was in it. Here, notice, if you do this thing and God so commands you, so if God, you go to God, if God affirms this, great. See, this is good. Jethro confidently assured Moses it would result in longing satisfaction for the entire nation. Then you will be able to endure and all the people will also go to their place in peace. Great counsel. Now, from 24 to 27, the counsel was imparted to capable men to judge the majority of the cases of the people then. Moses was teachable, 24. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Teachable, very important. I mean, he's, hey, Moses could have said, hey, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I just accomplished? Verse 25, Moses was not insecure. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel, made them heads over the people, rulers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And then 26, Moses was able to see the benefit to the people. So they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every case, or small case, themselves. And so in 27, Moses bid goodbye to Jethro. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. The danger in the church is for pastors to control everything and not delegate the ministry to others in the church. The church will be stifled and not be able to grow. The people will not be able to exercise their gifts of the Holy Spirit for the edification of the body of the church. The need of the people will not be tended to and often be unaware of them. We attempt to involve and to train as many people as are interested in being used. But it's up to you to respond. You understand? Your gift is not occupying three feet of pew or one chair. That's not a gift. It's necessary to grow and learn. And then when you move into a ministry, then you get disciple in the focus area of that ministry and training and the word of God. And you become more aware of ministry and your circle of, of those who will influence you and you'll influence others are much larger. You understand? 
The qualifications for serving are not set by men or pastors, but they're set by the scriptures. Acts 6 there, 3 through 6, it says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business. But we will give ourselves, continue to prayer in the ministry of the word, and the same please the multitude and they chose Stephen, man full of faith, the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procorius, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch, whom they said before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That's what happens when you get involved, when you become the church. You understand? 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 gives us the qualifications for bishops and elders. The same as in Titus 1, 6 through 9. Um, it is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, to desire, he desires a good work, a bishop must be blameless, a husband of one wife, one wife at a time, okay? Um, tempered, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, who, one who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he then take care of the church of God? Not a novice. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must give a good testimony among those who are outside, the non-believer. Lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. The same epistle in Timothy from verse 8 to 12 for the deacons and deaconesses. Likewise, deaconess must be reverent, no, not double tongue, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. There's a time for proving and for revealing your character. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own house well. And so the qualifications are given to us. We're not left to our own discretion. Those are the only qualifications we have. The evidence of overseeing and delegating ministry will be evident through the years of ministry then. If these things are going on, the growth in number to an extent will mark that application, but not always. Growth is up to the Lord, but we should expect it. The growth, development, maturity of the individual Christian coming to the church will be evident. The order, unity, love, and peace that permeates the church body should be very evident. And so the practical counsel of Jethro to Moses was to celebrate their lives having come out of Egypt. Amazing. Here's this meeting. They've arrived at the mountain of God. Jethro visits the camp, which is marked for us as lessons for us. The purpose of Jethro in coming to Moses was to celebrate his triumphant return from Egypt. The praise of Jethro for the God of Moses was in celebration of his deliverance from Egypt. And the practical counsel of Jethro to Moses was to celebrate their lives having come out of Egypt. He did what God wanted, he left. Nobody gloried in anybody but the Lord. 
Now they're ready to move. A little more efficient. This is to be a picture of us in our lives. Pastor Xavier Reese is summarizing the practical counsel that the father-in-law Jethro brought to Moses at Sinai and the simple truths of Exodus chapter 18. Now, just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's study titled Humble and Wise Leadership are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply Humble and Wise Leadership. Or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 